0: Greetings to all of God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph, we are today in lesson 93, and last time we were in uh, the book of Romans, chapter 9, and verse 28, let me read again from verse 27, as the paragraph begins here with Isaiah, where Paul is saying, explaining to the people, basically the Romans, the brethren, in the, in the church of Rome, and he's speaking in particular here to the Gentiles and also to the Jews, But these three chapters are dedicated uh, more to the Gentiles to explain to them that which they do not understand about, about Israel, about the calling of Israel, about the purpose of Israel and the role of Israel in the plan of God. And also to make them understand not only in their generation, because obviously God is the one inspiring it, the head of the body. Jesus Christ is inspiring it also for all those generations to come. So they would remember, and know and understand, comprehend that under no other circumstances, in no circumstances, did the Apostle Paul ever deviate from the truth of God, from the plan of God, from what the prophets have taught about Israel and the salvation of Israel, and the church that is Israel and the commonwealth of Israel, to which some of them were being grafted. And so he's going in detail on these three chapters uh, through all this information, because they do not have it. As for the Jewish community, for them it's reassurance also for those who are brethren, for those who are listening to it, and will in the in the not only in his own days, but in the days to come, and all the generations to come until the days of Christ. But God had never forsaken Israel, God will bring back all of Israel, save all of Israel, they are his church, his only church, there has never been any other one. And all others who are coming into that knowledge of the truth, they are coming and becoming followers, as sometimes Paul will call it the followers of the churches of Judea, all members of the commonwealth of Israel, since they're being grafted into it. And so that's what he's saying here in verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. In other words, there isn't going to be putting down Israel and picking up the church. God will never forsake his people even though he's going to allow many of them to go into captivity and die, and uh, the great tribulation is coming. And that particular statement here does not take into account also the second resurrection, where all of Israel who are in the grave are going to be brought out of the grave and also will become members of the Israel of God and the church of God. But at the time of the coming of Jesus Christ, remnant will be saved of Israel. And so he says, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, which today there are many, the number in the hundreds of millions. And most people are not even aware of that. Most Israel are not even aware of their own identity. Yet the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because the eternal, Yehovah will make a short work upon the earth. And so, whatever God began, he said he's going to finish. He's not going to, midway, cast away his plans and say, well, let's start all over again with another group, another people, another church, another bride. Verse 29, as Isaiah said before, unless the Eternal of Hosts, the Lord of Tzareot, means Eternal of Hosts, had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. In other words, just like they were totally decimated, If God had not preserved us, it would have been just like them. But then God was going to preserve Israel because he was not interested in the destruction of Israel. And he's going to use the remnant of them to multiply and fill the face of the whole earth with light and knowledge and understanding, which was a commission of Jacob, to be a light to the nations. Verse 30, what shall we say then? that the nations or the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, that is the letter of the law, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. In other words, they were doing it on their own effort. It is not that the law is done away with and they insisted on keeping it and didn't care about believing in God. They thought that the way to do it is on their own. It's not that God is going to put a faith in them. They did not understand that. And unfortunately, from the days of Egypt, most of Israel never understood it. That it's not only obedience to the law that God wanted them to, to uh, be responsible for, but also they have to know why they are doing what they are doing. and Where is it coming from? What's the purpose of it? And from whom is it coming? And in whom to put their faith? Because no matter how many signs and wonders and miracles they performed in their sight, because they had no faith, they say, oh, obedience doesn't do you any good if you have no faith. They would just do it automatically like a computer. You have to have an intimate relationship with a person, with a leader, with a savior, with a God, with a the, the creator. And if you don't have it, no matter how many times it's going to perform miracles for you, and if you don't have faith, you're always questioning, you're always rebel, you're always go astray. And that's exactly what's the story of Israel. There was no faith in them. And so that's what he's saying here. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. In other words, it's not enough to keep the law without faith. You have to have both. And that's why the the disciples make it very plain. You must obey the faith. You must have faith and also obey the faith. One is obedience to the commandments and the laws of the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and uh, the one that God gave his people Israel and the prophet spoke about, you must keep all those laws, but you also must believe in the one who gave it, trust in him, wait on him, walk with him. And then you need both of them. And unfortunately the Jews concentrated more on the obedience to the law itself apart from the one who is behind it. So they did not have faith. So when he came, on the sin, they did not have faith that he was the one. But those who did, they responded. Like many. Uh, we have examples of that, like Nathanael. He had that faith, not only obedience to the to the faith, but he had the faith also in God. And so when Christ told him before I saw you, I knew you when you were sitting under the, the tree, and the response of Nathanael was, You are the son of the living God. You are the king of Israel, you see, he, because he had faith, he understood it. And so there were those who still had faith, but not many, the majority didn't. And as a whole, Israel did not have faith. And because of that, they were stumbling. And so he said, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written. In other words, they stumbled at uh, their own God, the one that Paul calls the Christ. And that rock that they followed was the Christ. They constantly stumbled, that's why they constantly were uh, rebellious and wanted to kill even Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb at one point. And they constantly complained about God. Can he do this for us? Can he do that for us? Well, there are people to this very day who are that way. When everything goes well, they're happy, they serve God, they sing to God. When things go bad, their key is gone. Well, that's human nature. And so he says, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. You see, the stumbling stone and rock of offense are in Zion. What is Zion? Symbol of the nation. In other words, it is in the Church of God, Israel. That's what he's talking about. That's what the whole uh, context is and the emphasis. All those things that we are reading here, all these things that we are reading here, uh, within the context of the Commonwealth of Israel, not outside of it. And so he says, I'm going to lay in Zion a stumbling stone in a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so there were those who were going to believe. And as for the rest, God is going to deliver them from their own unfaithfulness and remove the veil, and then all, the, all of them shall believe. That's what Paul is saying ultimately. All Israel shall be saved. So we're talking about a temporary condition here. And that's something, unfortunately, many of the newcomers from the Gentiles did not understand because they were living through a state of uh, affairs where they saw an awful lot of Jews blaspheming their own faith or speaking evil of their own faith and all the prophets and of Moses and did not understand the fulfillment of it while they did and so they thought in their own mind, Aha! Uh-huh, God is now rejecting them and is choos- choosing us. And at that point the counterfeit church began to, uh, to be formed and, and Paul would call it the mystery of iniquity is already working And people began to teach those lies, not understanding the whole matter. And that's the reason why Paul is addressing it in detail here, and that's the reason why we're going through it also in detail. And so Paul continues to speak in chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. See, Israel, all All of his preaching was for Israel, and the grafted ones from the olive branches of the world were being uh, grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. So his commission was always with the emphasis on Israel. Even with the Gentiles, though he was an apostle to the Gentiles, to bring them to the commonwealth of Israel, so his commission remains again still with Israel. Even though he is the apostle to the uncircumcision. Not to keep them in uncircumcised condition, that is, state of mind, or heart, or spirit, and we're not talking about the flesh, but to bring them to become spiritual Israelites. Not create a new religion, new theology. And so it says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, that is to Elohim for Israel, is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have the zeal of God. or oh, they have a zeal for God, for Elohim, they do. I bear them witness. I was one of them. I used to be like them, just like them. We all had the zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they knew that the law of God is of God, they knew what the prophet said and all that, they believed in all those things, they followed them, they obeyed them, they were not ever the type that would say, well, the law of God is done away with, it's not for me, I don't need to do it. No, they had always had a zeal for God, for Elohim, for his Torah, for his word. That's the reason why they wanted to kill him when he came to the temple, thinking that he brought an uncircumcised person. They have that zeal of God, but unfortunately, it's not according to knowledge. In other words, you have to understand not only the law, but the purpose of the law, the intent of the law, and the meaning of the law, and the words of God that you read. And many people don't have that. And so he says, well, being ignorant of of God's righteousness, of the righteousness of Elohim, you see, it's it's the religion of Elohim, not the religion of Christ. He's the head of the religion. He's the head of the church. Ultimately, that he put Christ to be the head of the body, he's the head of Christ. So he's ultimately the head of the church. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of Elohim. Now what is the righteousness of, uh, of Elohim? Well, the Torah that he gave his people in Sinai, through the one that became their their husband, and Savior, and Deliverer, and Redeemer, who redeemed them many times, so all, all kinds of uh, uh, afflictions and uh, captivity. The one that became known as the anointed Savior. But even in Isaiah and other places, he was was already called the anointed Savior, but not the name that became later on in Greek, Jesus Christ. But it's the same name, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the anointed Savior. And he said that many times, I am your Savior through Isaiah, and beside me there is none else. And those who have understanding, not just knowledge, but understanding, they had the faith. And those who did not have an understanding, they did not have the faith. And they were not obedient all the ways they should. Because God commanded them to obey not only the words of the Torah, but also the faith that is in it. That is Him. That's why Paul makes it very plain. Without faith, in the the chapter of faith in Hebrews, 11, without faith, ye cannot please God. Nobody can please Elohim without faith. So it's not enough to have a a computer-like obedience. The Torah, you must have faith in the one who gave it, a living faith. And so, walk with it, walk with God in time of good times and bad times, and whatever times uh, you have, whatever it may be. You can constantly see God, so to speak, face to face in that sense. You seek His face daily, He says. You know that He's there, that it's real, and it's not just an automatic thing, a program. that you just follow without even thinking. God demanded faith, living faith. And so that was the problem of Israel, unfortunately, that did not have that. And that's the reason when Christ appeared on the scene, not having faith, they did not see it for what it was. They did not understand the part of the words of the prophets. And they did not comprehend and understand that this one that you are looking right in the face is the one. For that, they needed faith. Knowledge was not enough. And so he says in verse four, he made a statement here that unfortunately was translated proper, you know, that is improperly in a very poor manner, and that deceived many people. Where he says here, "For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes." Instead of writing it properly, so people can understand that Christ is the end result of the Torah. You see, in other words, when you obey when you obey the Torah. When you obey it from the heart, from the mind, with your might, your power, when you believe the one who is behind it and you walk in it. That's how God is formed in you. That's how you become holy. That's how Christ is being formed in you. And then the end result would be that you will be the epitome of the Torah, of what the Torah is teaching you, what it is all about. And Christ is the epitome of the Torah so that's what he's talking about here. Christ is the epitome of the Torah. He's the end result of the Torah. And if you compare the Torah to bricks, you take every single brick that represents a law, a statue, a judgment, or precept, or an ordinance, or a testimony, or a teaching, or an instruction, you put it all together when you got the whole, you got a house. The house of the Torah. And that whole house is Jesus Christ. And even that, uh, is just symbolically what it means because nobody can totally fully comprehend uh, God uh, even through the Torah because the Torah itself cannot box God we have to walk with him on a personal basis to constantly grow in grace and knowledge and understanding and have more and more and more but through his Torah being uh, the medium through which he communicates to men his mind, his nature, his character, his personality, his righteousness, his holiness you see uh, it's through that that people are being formed. As they walk in it, obey it. Not say, it's done away with. You don't say the building is done away with. That is, Christ is done away with. That's what people are saying and don't even understand what they are saying. So when he's saying here, for Christ is the end all the law, is saying Christ is the end result. If you walk in the Torah, the end result of it, you are going to be just like Christ. And that's what he said. Put on the mind of Christ. And you cannot do it apart from the Torah. Apart from his teachings, from Genesis to Revelation. That's what he's talking about. And that's what he said, unless you hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is the Torah, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, and so this is what it means. You know, I'm the manna that came down from heaven. That's the one, the manna that Moses talked about. He said, you don't need to go up to heaven or go under the earth to find it. It's right there. Christ was right there through his word. And he's always there through his word. Available to all. And so this is what he's talking about here. And so he makes it, again, very plain. There is no new religion on the scene. It's the same Torah. The same word. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Christ does not change. And that's what God says to his people in Jeremiah 7, uh, 30. Uh, verse 7, I believe that. God is the same. I am the same. Therefore, you, Jacob, are not being consumed. You see, there has never been any change. And the God of Israel the Torah of Israel and the righteousness of Israel and the truth and therefore, in the church of Israel itself. And so he's saying Christ is the uh, totality, the epitome of it. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. And that's exactly even what God told them, too. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. In other words, that's that's what the interpretation of it is. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ out from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith, which we speak. So Moses spoke about that faith. And he's telling them not only that you should obey God, but also circumcise the foreskin of your heart, so you can believe also God, not just obey in a mindless manner, but have faith in God. See Him, you know. See Him with your own eyes. Seek His faith, His faith, and, obey and follow Him. And they had constant problems for 40 years because they had no faith in God. And obedience to God is not enough if you do not have faith in Him. And that's what He's talking about, a living faith. And that comes when you see God. And this is what, exactly what God is doing here, the, you know, the, the Father, Elohim. is revealing His Son in those who are willing to believe. And so he becomes a living God in their minds and hearts, and that's how they have faith. And so they obey with faith, not only in a mindless manner, because I'm supposed to. You don't do it because you're supposed to, you do it because you love God, because you see Him, because you know He's real, because you walk with Him, because you talk to Him, because He's delivering you, and you experience that. And that's the faith he's talking about, and Israel was lacking in that. But still the entirety of the matter and the subject is about Israel and the Church and the Torah, and there is no other new religion, other theology, other God. You see, this is what the country church had, had done. Totally misunderstanding you know, the writings of uh, both the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms, and the writings uh, that came uh, later on, and the writings of the disciples uh, misunderstood all that, being unlearned. And so Paul is setting the record straight. And so he says, in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And it doesn't say that that's the only thing you need to do and forget about the Torah. He says, no. If you believe in the Torah, which is the epitome of what Christ is all about, if you eat it, if you drink it, if you walk in it, if you obey it, it will become a real thing to you. And then you would have faith in God because you are experiencing the Torah. Not just obeying it mindlessly, but it's a living thing. That's what Christ told his people. My word is spirit. It's not just words. It is spirit. It is alive. If you walk in it, it's a living thing. And so he says, you will be saved. That is, on top of obedience to the Torah, if you have faith also, and you walk with him, and you experience him, and He's a living thing to you, not just empty words, or letter of the law, are going to be saved. And people who have no background do understand this statement. And so they think, well, all I have to do is confess Christ and I'll be saved. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the people who are following Christ and Christ is not only a person, but his word. That's why he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? And if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. What commandments do the Jews know, talk about? The commandments that were given to to them in Sinai, all of them, are applicable to them. And so it's not saving without obedience, it's saving in obedience and faith, and knowing that God is the one that ultimately uh, does it in you and through you. It is of Him both to will and to do. But apart from the Torah, apart from righteousness, there is no way. And it can never be like Christ if you reject His nature and character that are revealed in the Torah. And so that religion has never been changed or altered, and new theology was not being taught, you know, that you forget about the Torah, now all they have to do is just, uh, just uh, look at a person himself. You see, and that was a problem of the Jews. Instead of looking at God, and having an intimate relationship with Him, and walking with Him, they just obeyed His law. On the other hand, those from the counterfeit church came and said, well, you don't have to obey His law, just believe in Him. And God is not interested in either one of them. He wants both. The totality of it. When you both believe in Him and obey Him. Of what value is it to Him that you just believe that He is? Well Satan believes that He is, he knows that He is, he talks to Him all the time now and then. And demons do too. And they came and worship Him many times, and they know that He is. That doesn't do them any good, because they do not obey Him. And so people have to learn that. If you just believe in Him that He is, and you think that's all you have to do, you're not different than Satan or the demons. That's what Jane says. Do you, do you have faith in God? Oh, it's wonderful. You know, he says the devil too has faith. He's, he knows too about God and he believes that there is God. He has no qu- problem about it. He doesn't say God is dead. He doesn't say there is no God. He knows very well. He speaks to him now and then. So it doesn't do us any good just to believe in, in God and this is not going to save us no more than it's going to save Satan just because he knows there is God. Many in our midst, you know, think uh, that way without even realizing it. Well, I don't need to obey this and obey that. I just believe in Christ and that's all I need to do. Well, if you want to have the same reward as Satan, the devil, well, you continue in that way. and Where would that lead you? And So understand the meaning of all these words that Paul is speaking here to his people and to uh, those who have been grafted and to others who are listening to this very day. Verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. You see, when you believe, then you believe unto what? Unto righteousness. Not unto unrighteousness. Not unto not to say, well, I believe and I don't need to obey. No, when you believe, then you obey, he says. And with the mouth, the confession is made unto salvation. And that's what Paul told Timothy. And he says to all of us, and we should be of the same mind and the same attitude. He said, from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, speaking by the Torah and the Prophets, and the songs and the writings, he had known them, which were able to make you wise unto salvation. In other words, without them, you can't have salvation. That's the reason why people people of Israel suffer constantly all this time, because of the consequences of rebellion to the Torah of God. And that's why Paul says very plainly in Romans 6, the end of the chapter, the wages of sin, the wages of unrighteousness, the wages of disobedience to the Torah is death. So people that said the Torah is done away with, well, they're facing death. That's their future, not being saved. So that's what he's saying here in verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Yes, when you believe in him, you must obey too. You obey because you believe in him. The other ones will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord... Adon, overall, is reached to all who call upon him. And how do you call upon him? In disobedience or in obedience? And that's what he's saying here. If you obey, then it doesn't make any difference if you're a Jew or a Greek. And if you don't obey, it still doesn't make any difference whether you're a Jew or a Greek. What matters is that you obey God, that you serve God, that you believe in God. Because God is the creator of all. And so that's why he says, For whoever calls on the name, in verse 13, on the name of the Eternal, shall be saved. And if you don't call upon Him, you're not going to be saved. And if you call upon Him and you do not obey Him, you're not going to be saved either. When you call upon Him, that means you listen to His voice and to His commands, and you obey them. So you have both faith and righteousness. It's not one against the other. It's not grace versus law. It's not righteousness or faith. And versus obedience. Both. That's what God demands. That's why he told the people that came to him, you know, in the parable, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. He says, I don't even know you. You are lawless. You see, you are without law. You are without Torah. you think that you can just call upon my name and say I'll be saved and I love Jesus and all that and then hate my law, my Torah? He says, I don't accept you. I don't even know you. The only way God can know us is through obedience to his law. That's the way he knows us. And when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, that is, obedience to the command that God gave him, you go do it, whether you feel like it or not. And when Abraham was willing to go all the way in his own mind, he already had his son dead, then God could tell him, now I know. That's only what God can know us. When we obey his voice, and that's the way God knows us when we do not obey his voice. He knows that we are not going to be good Sons and daughters in his kingdom, but constant rebels. And so there is no way without it. So all that is the, within the context, context of what God gave Israel in Sinai. He married them, but on condition that if you obey my voice and commandments and laws and statutes and judgments and all these things, then you will be a holy royal priesthood, a chosen generation, not apart from it. I'd say, well, we love you and all that, but, you know, we're not interested in your law. He says, the two go together. That's what a marriage covenant is all about. You follow me and you obey me. People don't like to hear that today, especially women don't like to hear that today because of abuse. That's to the shame of men, not to the shame of the woman. And so in verse 14, he continues, How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, sent by God, not by themselves? A lot of people like to believe that God is sending them. All they do is just, you know, wishful thinking, uh, sending themselves. God is the one that sent them. So God spoke oftentimes about the prophets of Israel, that he said, They speak, but I haven't sent them. Oh, they claim that the Lord sent me, but I haven't sent them. And Christ said the same. Many shall come in my name, claiming that I sent them, that I'm the ministers of Jesus Christ, ministers of the gospel. He says they shall come in my name and deceive many. In other words, they're liars. When God calls you, then you preach His word. And if He doesn't call you, it's not your business to preach His word, but to live life, the righteous life, and that will become your preaching. But as far as the actual going into the world and preaching and teaching and all that, uh, if God hasn't called you to do it specifically, well, do it within your family and do it by your own life, by your own actions. So there are two, two kinds of calling there. We are being called to walk in righteousness, and we are being called also, as we walk in righteousness, to preach righteousness. And that's only the segment that God gives to the few that God calls. And that's what James says. Don't be many masters. Otherwise, we have the greatest condemnation, and that's the last thing we want. And so it says, How shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, they change the word to gospel, and that sounds like a foreign religion. It's the good news. The surah or the good tidings, good news of peace, and who bring glad tidings of good things. And it's only to those who obey the law of God, not those who live in disharmony and disobedience. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the good news, or the surah. And sorah means the news. It could be good news or bad news. And that's why I have to add good tidings, you know. Good besorah. Besorah, that's the word in Hebrew for, later uh, on, they use the word gospel. But it's besorah, all it means, uh, tidings. They have not obeyed the tidings. For Isaiah says, eternal, our Lord, Lord is not the correct word, it's Adon, he said eternal. Who has believed our report? In Isaiah 53, you read that. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So the word of God was being preached. For what reason? So people can listen to it, believe in it, and obey it. You see? And that's the reason why God sends ministers who know the law very well, not ignorant people, not mixed up people, he doesn't call ignorant people and sends them to be preachers so they can go and preach lies or a mixture of truth and error. He calls people who are well-versed in His Torah, in His truth, and are not children of darkness or partial light and knowledge or the ones who are preaching from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the servants of God have always been very well-versed in His Torah, in His writings, in His Psalms, and His Prophets, and all that he had given to to them at any given moment, any given time. And they are the ones that went and spread that word. So what? So people can hear, so people can have faith, so people can follow, so people can obey, so people can become holy and be like God and have the righteousness of God. So people can become godly, so God can bless them, so can have a relationship with them. So ultimately they can become his sons and be in his kingdom, be spiritual. And that was a process from the beginning of time. And so, verse 19, it says, But I said, Did Israel not know? In other words, Israel never heard those words. Of course, they did. They were in Sinai, and Moses told them for 40 years. And he didn't teach them you know, mixture of truth and error, but all was truth, because they received it directly from God. And so he says, Did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. In other words, the reason why God is grafting all the nations of the earth is so Israel can look at it, get envious about it, get jealous, and go back to their own God, their own husband, the King of Israel, Jesus the Christ, who came now in the flesh and they did not recognize him. And they continue to worship him as the God of Israel, but they don't know that he came in the flesh. Some people think that the Jews do not worship Jesus. They do. They just don't know that he is the one that came in the flesh. But Paul made it very plain. The one that they followed in the wilderness, the God of Israel, is Jesus Christ. So I cannot say the Jews don't worship Jesus or rejected Jesus. No, they rejected him when he came in the flesh, in their midst. That's the one that they have rejected. But not the one that they've known they have known all their lives. So it's it's a in one sense a confusion there in their mind. On one hand they accept him because they think he's the God of Israel, but when they are told no, he's also not only only the God of Israel, but he's also the one that came in the flesh says, No, 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 we don't accept that one. And and there's confusion. And so it's an irony in that sense. They believe in him on one hand and they don't on the other, because they do not know his role in the flesh. And yet on the other hand you have those people on the other the other side, and many of them are children of Israel, who are not think of themselves as Gentiles. And you find them in Europe, Northwestern Europe, or most of the people in Northwestern Europe, and the Americas. I uh, speaking about North America, and Canada, and New Zealand, and all those Anglo-Saxons, and, uh, and all these people, they're all Israelites. And then of course, there are among them those who are not. But then on the other hand, they say, well, we believe Christ, but we don't want to have anything to do with that God of the Old Testament, that harsh old monster. That's what, that's what they've been taught for centuries. Not realizing that's the same person. So here is the irony in the midst of the house of Israel: majority of them believe on Christ but don't believe His teachings and His law. And then, on the other hand, you find the house of Judah, the other branch of the house of Israel, that believes in the Torah and walks in it and obeys it. At least the ones of them, you know, those among them who do, which is a minority. But at least the rest don't don't claim that the Torah is not of God, uh, and uh, many of them uh, give lip service. Uh, But they don't say it's done away with. they just say we don't want to walk in it. It's not for us. And so they walk in the Torah, and yet they reject the one who gave it. And that's the reason why faith is required. Not only believing in Him, but also obeying Him. And if people believe in Him and obey Him, they know that it is the same person. It's not somebody else. And so that was the problem of Israel. They knew of God. They heard His voice. He performed all those miracles in their midst, but they did not walk in His word in his Torah and others they know Jesus Christ and they believe in him but they reject his Torah and both are lacking and when you put the two together then you've got the complete package there and so that's what Moses is saying I'm going to provoke you to jealousy by those who are not in nation so he's also already teaching what is going to happen now in the days of the apostles where in specific Paul would go to the nations of the earth and God sent him deliberately for that purpose, to bring a wild olive uh, branches and grab them into the commonwealth of Israel and make Israel jealous. That is the one that did not believe, because otherwise majority of the majority of, of the church at the time were of the Jewish background. But then as God was began to call more and more, many were becoming jealous. And uh, some blasphemed, went from one extreme to the other, and some uh, said, well, let's study it more like the Bereans, more deeply and find out whether it is really so and they believed so I had a reaction that was both ways there some pros some cons and so in verse 20 he says but Isaiah is very bold and says I was found by those who did not seek me I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me in other words God is the one doing it He's calling of the nations to make his own wife jealous so she can come back to him, and that's the intent of it, not to create a new theology and a new church and found a new religion called Christianity. You see, this is what the Gentiles who were unlearned, and did not understand. That's what Paul is trying to explain to them and to all mankind for the next 2,000 years. because that blindness is everywhere, not only in the house of Judah, but all the House of Israel and all those who follow the same message. Verse 21, but to Israel he says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And that includes all the house of Israel, including those who call themselves Christians. The disobedient and contrary people that say we believe in Christ but we reject his law. And they're all in the same boat as far as God is concerned, both Jews and Israelites. That is entirely the house of Israel, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And all those who follow the same message. It must have the whole, the entirety of it. Grace and law, righteousness and obedience, everything. The whole package deal. And so chapter 11, Paul says, verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Did Elohim cast away his people? Certainly not. Oh, God forbid. Because many people began to believe that that's exactly what he did. And so to this very day they say, oh, God, because of rebellion, he was tired of the Jews, or tired of this and tired of that. And he put down Israel and picked up the church and Paul said, no, he didn't do that. I never believe this lie. And yet people believe it and preach it. They speak from both ends of their mouth. Verse one, again, I say then, has God, the Elohim, cast away his people? Did Jesus Christ or the Father cast away their people, his people, his church, his wife? Never. Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite and I've not been rejected of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, and the entirety of the church in Judea basically was Jewish. And then all the places where Paul went, he generally went to synagogue first, and they were the first ones to create the foundation of Israel of God. And then also Gentiles were being grafted. But Israel was always the majority and has always been throughout all of history. The majority of the true believers in the God of Israel and the law of Israel even though they went into hiding and many times were not even known as such. But the false church became known as the true church, which it was not, was the counterfeit church. But that was the time of the Gentiles and God allowed it. So it says, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, or Eternal, they have killed your prophets. That's what Israel always did. Why? Because they didn't want to hear the law. It was contrary to them. They didn't want to obey. All oh, they didn't mind obeying, believing God, but they didn't want to obey His law, and they're not different today. They all say, Lord, Lord, sweet Jesus, whatever it may be, oh God, every single word is God to them, and use it even in curses. And yet they reject His law. And Israel was always the same. They're not different today. So He says, eternal, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left. Well, he thought he was alone. And they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men. God never forsakes his people. If the majority become disobedient, he still has a measure of them that are obedient. And as for the rest, he's going to deal with them in due time, bring them back too. And so I said, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God continually do, do that. until this very day, he does that. And as for the rest, he's going to deal with them at the end of time. In verse 5, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. That is, remnant of Israel. There has always been a remnant of Israel. And that's because that was a church. God would never forsake His church and His wife. Even though He died for her, and that marriage of the old, the old marriage was then away with, but He did it so He can have a new marriage with them, the same people, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then He grafted some others from the Gentiles so He can make His people Uh, jealous and you know, envious and be provoked to jealousy and come back to him. That's the intent of it. Not to replace Israel and then uh, start a new work a new church a new theology a new religion with the Gentiles. Verse 6 And if by grace then it is no longer of works. Otherwise grace is no longer grace. You see it's the grace of God that is preserving the the remnant and the grace of God is that will bring all the rest back to him. Not their own obedience to the law. But his grace. And he's going to open their minds so they can see him face to face and obey him from the heart. And believe in him. And walk with him. Not just blind obedience. But if it is what works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And some people look at that with that knowledge and understanding and think, well, it's either grace or works. No, he says both. That's what he's explaining to them. you got to have a faith in God, believe God, and obey God. Both of them. God demands both. And because Israel was not, was not willing to have both of them, he had to constantly reject them. But then he said he's going to bring them back. And they will all be obedient. And that's the reason why he's going to make a new covenant with them. He says, I'm going to put my laws in their hearts. And they're not going to say any more the law is done away with when it is written in their hearts. You see? And it's not just Lord, Lord, and not obedience to the Lord. And so what then? Verse 7. Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded, you see, on a temporary basis, just as it is written. Verse 7, God had given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, to this very day. God is responsible for it. Why? Because they were unwilling to obey Him. Therefore, He did it. He did it in order to preserve them, and protect them, and defend them. You see, He conclu- concluded, them, concluded them that it is an unbelief. So you can have mercy on them, because in other words, if they do believe, if they do understand, and still rebel against him, he will have to totally cast them away. And so for their own protection he made them blind, so they would not be responsible and accountable for it, and so he would not reject them. And people don't understand that plan of God. In verse 9 he says, David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a recompense to them, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow their bow their, uh, their back always. In other words, because they hate the law of God, let them be blind. But not let them be blind so they can remain blind forever, but for their own protection. People don't understand this, this statement when they read it. They think these are words of hatred. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. In other words, God did not blind them so they could, you know, just fall and he'll get rid of them. No, not at all. But, through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy. then Salvation has come to the Gentiles, you see, in order to bring them back. God is calling some of the Gentiles to bring Israel back to himself, because that's his wife that's his church, and he will never reject his church and his wife. It's through his wife that he's going to have many sons all the nations of the earth and Israel will always remain the firstborn and the son of God and the country of church never understood that verse 12 now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the gentiles how much more their fullness you see that's the end of the story not the end of the story that he did away with them and put down Israel and picked up the you know uh, the church no He's going to bring them, and their fullness is going to be much greater. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. He says, you really don't get it. You don't understand what is really happening here, because you have no background. You see, the Gentiles had no background in the Torah and in the prophets. Didn't know what God was doing all along, what the prophets said that he would do. Didn't know the whole story from beginning until the end. That's the reason why they come up with this kind of uh, uh, concepts. And uh, basically they were deceptive concepts, And they continued to preach that. And it became a false church, counterfeit church. You see, pretending to be the true one, but it's not. That's the reason why God had to call her the mystery of Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots. You know, the great whore. Anyway, we should stop now and say goodbye to all of God's people. This is Morga Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the worldwide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible study. You have questions? The Bible has